So Money Episode 411, Wendy Simmons. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. So Money is brought to you today by Wealthfront. Wealthfront is the most tax-efficient, low-cost, hassle-free way to invest. Now, many of you I know are interested in simplifying your investment strategy. You want to reduce fees. You want to work with a service that you trust. And Wealthfront delivers. It builds and manages your personalized, globally diversified portfolio. To open an account, the minimum is just $500, and that gets you a periodically rebalanced, diversified portfolio of low-cost index funds. There are zero trading fees, zero hidden fees, and advisory fees that are just a fraction of traditional advisors. In fact, Wealthfront manages your first $10,000 for free. To learn more and sign up, visit wealthfront.com forward slash so money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Charabi. Monday, May 2nd, it's a new month and a new format here on So Money. If you've been following me in my newsletter, you might have heard that we are switching the format a little bit. You know, we started this show a year and a half ago, seven days a week, Monday through Sunday. Y'all told me I was crazy. And admittedly, it was crazy. And once we hit a few milestones, like I think once we hit a million downloads, I said, you know what? Let's just, let's take it easy a little bit. Step away from the seven day per week format and go to five days per week. And that worked for us really well until now. I've decided that we've hit over 2 million downloads. Things are going really great. I'm getting feedback still from a lot of listeners saying, you know what? We wouldn't mind if you went to three days per week because then we could actually listen to every single episode. And so that's what we're doing. Starting today, we're going to three days per week. So apologies to those who will miss. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but starting today, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday is when you're going to be able to catch So Money. Mondays and Wednesdays are still going to be dedicated to interviews with extraordinary people who live fascinating lives and have great financial stories to share. And then Friday will continue to be our Ask Farnoosh segment. So if you have a question for me, same rules apply. Go to somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh, and send me your question, and we will connect on Fridays. All right, now I'm really pumped for today's guest. She's a writer, photographer, and world traveler, and boy, has she traveled the world. Wendy Simmons is here, and she's out with a new book that you should run, not walk, to get to after you listen to this podcast. It's about her vacation in North Korea. Can we can we say vacation? Yes. It, well, holiday, I suppose. There are so many questions that I have for Wendy Simmons. The book is called My Holiday in North Korea, The Funniest Slash Worst Place on Earth. Wendy has also a weekly travel column featured on the Huffington Post. She's written for other outlets, including Yahoo, Travel and Leisure. Her photographs have also been featured in a number of exhibitions and shows all across the country, and she's earned several accolades for them. Wendy also has over 25 years of marketing, PR, and management experience. This is her first book. And so what about this book? How did she decide to go to North Korea? Why, really? What were her expectations going into the country and were they met? 
And would she recommend you and I go to North Korea? And if so, what should we take with us? Wendy is also an entrepreneur. You know, this is her first book. And prior to writing this book, she has had many stages in her career. She, for 25 years, worked in marketing and PR, management experience. She's switched careers several times as the president of Vendaloo, a consultancy that she founded in 2001, as the chief brand officer of a New York City-based global eyewear brand, and owner of a bar in Manhattan. So we trend Transition nicely to talk about money, Wendy and I, and learning about money as she lived in a neighborhood that was pretty wealthy. Why, she says, she doesn't really think about money. She doesn't want to really think about money. And her number one financial failure, which perhaps not surprisingly involved the stock market. Here we go. Here is Wendy Simmons. Wendy Simmons, welcome to So Money. I've been waiting to interview you on this podcast for about two months, ever since we first met at that book party. And <laughs> congratulations on your book. Congratulations on getting the heck out of North Korea, first of all, and then writing the book. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I really appreciate it. <laughs> and, and no disrespect to anybody who is North Korean or lives in North Korea, but you know, it would be a lie to say that your journey there was, quote unquote, fun. But that said, you also chose to go there. You weren't forced to go to North Korea. You wanted to go to North Korea. I didn't even know that you could go there and be a tourist. So let's start there. What was the impetus for deciding to go? I know that you're a, a, a world traveler. Perhaps there was an intrigue. You wanted to venture out to that part of the world. But, you know, we know enough about North Korea to know that they're not exactly welcoming um, <laughs> to non-North Koreans and even North Koreans. So what made you want to go? You know, it's I wanted to go because it's very difficult to have a unique experience in the world these days. And as someone who loves to travel, I'm always looking for authentic experiences. And I, you know, I, I for some reason I had it in my mind that North Korea was on the verge of becoming a normal place. So I sort of went in a harried state trying to get there before it became like the rest of the world. And I, I needn't worry. It was not anywhere close to becoming someplace normal. But, you know, more than anything, I just I just wanted to see, um, you know, I guess what all the fuss was all about. Mm -hmm. So, well, interesting that you called it you wanting an authentic experience because it was anything but I mean, yes, they were being themselves. But I as reading the book, I mean, you were handled throughout the journey, you know, the 10 days that you were there, you had um, people that were basically guarding you from morning till night, you only had time breaks to yourself when you went to the bathroom and you were sleeping oh, and so many, so, so many events were staged. So, um, did you, what, what, what kind of experience was it while you were in it? it must've been very, um, contradictory. It, you know, it's strange because it is authentic in that the, the country is for the people. It's not for tourists. I mean, it is for tourists. The trip that you go on is completely staged. Absolutely. Everybody is on script and you see nothing or hear nothing that they don't want you to see unless it's by accident. But authentic in the sense that, um, you know, the country hasn't been set up to accommodate tourists. It's not, um, you know, uh, postcard stands everywhere. It's not shops for tourism everywhere. And so what you are seeing is the way people actually live, but you're seeing it in a very sanitized 
customized version in as much as they can control the experience. That said, they can't. It's Earth. And so, you know, everywhere you look, you're seeing what real North Koreans live like. You're seeing the poverty and you're seeing the oppressive lifestyle that they have to lead and so forth. So it is a contradiction in that they're working as hard as they can to keep you from seeing what real life looks like, but you're seeing it nonetheless. How does one get to North Korea? One goes to China to secure a visa from the North Korean government through a travel company that's based in China. At least that was my experience. I think there's one or two companies that work uh, with a, an organization called the KITC, which is based in North Korea. And um, through these travel companies, they really they arrange all the logistics for you. And then you go. It's it's much, much simpler than people think it is. Hmm. It's the getting out part. That's the tricky part. What I can't also believe is that this is your first book. It's so well written. Um, you were meant to write. You were, I think you were, you were placed on this planet to, to share stories. And, um, what did you, did you like the process? Was it, uh, I'm, I'm sure you couldn't wait to get, you know, pen to paper as you were leaving North Korea because you weren't able to document anything while you were there. So everything was in your head. But what, yeah. what was the process for you like writing this book? Was it cathartic? Cause I know you said you left like almost like it really affected you. Um, what, do you feel like you've kind of come to peace with the, with the trip at this point? With the trip, yes. With North Korea, I still struggle. And, um, you know, to answer the question, I really loved writing about it. I had so much to say, and I knew when I came home, it was going to be impossible to communicate it verbally to people. And, um, you know, I just, it, the book came so easily, which is a strange thing to say because now I've been writing ever since and, and, you know, it can take me a, a week to write an article, whereas the book took, you know, just a few weeks. Um, you know, the the experience demanded it be written about. It was just like none other I'd ever had. And I couldn't figure out why. And it took a long time to process. It was almost like an acute stress disorder I had suffered from being there and not because the conditions were so bad. Um, you know, they were relatively pleasant. But just to try to understand what life must be like for the people living there and um, my conflicting emotions about the interactions I had with people, um, you know, really just trying to make sense of how a country could exist like that in this world of such ubiquitous information sharing. It, it just it, it was mind boggling. And, um, you know, I, I felt almost like I had no choice but to put it down on paper, as you say. Well, I'm so uh, glad you did. I'm so glad you wrote this book. It's uh, <laughs> My Holiday in North Korea, the funniest slash worst place on earth. <laughs> <laughs> and it was both. It was, it was both. Worst, yeah. And I'm <laughs> sure even though you weren't able to communicate with your friends and family back in the States, I'm sure they were nervous for you because um, not only because you were going to this um, you know, this, this volatile country, but, but also because the timing of your trip occurred right around when the, the political satire comedy, the interview with James yeah. Franco and Seth Rogen had, um, just got, become very controversial. Uh, they had, uh, basically, you know, denounced North Korea in the movie and then North Korea responded by, uh, promising merciless retaliation against America. So that's not really a place where you want to be somewhere where you're an American. 
No, it was really bad timing. <laughs> they declared war in America <laughs> my first day there. And, you know, my mom, uh, who worries, you know, if I go to Delaware, she was like out of her mind with worrying. And I guess during the course of my stay, um, you know, they had threatened war throughout and with increasing intensity and the hack went on and I think they launched missiles. And during the time, uh, there was also some diplomatic snafu where uh, the president of China or South Korea went to China before something else. And it was just one debacle after the next while I was away. And so when I landed back at Newark Airport and called her, I mean, she literally burst in tears. It was the first time I would heard her cry in a long time. So this trip was not for the faint at heart. So anyone listening who is listening to your story and maybe being even intrigued, like maybe I should go to North Korea, would you recommend it? And if so, how would you suggest one prepare for a trip like this? Would I recommend it? You know, I don't want to be responsible for the next prisoner held in North Korea. So it's a difficult place to recommend going. But from the standpoint of people who are interested in the world and who don't take the news for granted and have a love of exploration and humanity and understand the value that travel has, um, the impact it has on understanding one another, you know, have a goal of um, you know, this, I, I guess it's, you know, it's sort of Miss America-ish, but, you know, this idea that um, understanding brings peace. Yeah. I mean, I, and I also found it fascinating and the people are just people who live there. You know, they, the, the animosity they feel towards Americans isn't based in any more in reality than the animosity we as Americans have for people of other countries that have been maligned from, you know, years and years of news. And, um, and it's it's a one of a kind of experience. You're you're never going to go anyplace else like it on Earth. And I don't for a second regret going there. I didn't enjoy it much while I was there, but I loved the trip. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, it In led to of- some. It, it led to a it book, led- which <laughs> for sure has been a definitary on the. Uh, icing on the cake, so to speak. Um, you know, you can't, there are no stores. You have absolutely access to nothing. You have to be completely self-contained. So you need to prepare by bringing everything you can possibly imagine needing, you know, whether it's weather-based or medication you might need or, you know, you, there's literally nothing you can get there that you um, might need. So you have to be prepared for every, absolutely every occasion. And mm-hmm. I guess, you know, ostensibly you have to be prepared to stay if the worst thing in that Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So, um, you know, I brought I brought a lot um, of medication and and that kind of thing. So, I also alerted the Swedish embassy before I left, and um, you know, made a few preparations like that. And I, you know, I told friends and family if they didn't hear from me by X date, who to contact and that kind of thing. Thank goodness for the Swedes. Yeah. <laughs> was there ever yep. a point in the trip where you just wanted to start screaming or like escape or was it, did you reach a, a point of, uh, of lunacy at any point? I would have gone crazy. Yeah. I felt like that a lot, you know, and a lot of that though is attributed to, you know, I live in New York. I live alone. I have a lot of freedom. I've, you know, I've never had very strict family or teachers. I just, I've never lived in that kind of an environment before. So I think, you know, that compounded by the fact that it's just so intense, you are literally never alone. And for many people who go, they go on group tours. So that intensity is at least diluted by the number of people in their tour. You know, there might be 20 or 30 people 
people upon which this attention is, is, um, you know, uh, put upon them. And instead I was by myself, you know, and every group that goes, whether you're 20 people or one person or 50 people has two handlers and a driver. So I had two handlers and a driver alone and, um, everywhere you go, uh, which is usually like eight to 12 places a day, um, you are met with more local handlers and their entire mission is to convert you into believing their leader is great and that their country is magnificent. And, you know, you're just surrounded and bombast at all times by people talking at you. And what they're saying is either wrong, you know, just flat out wrong, a lie, illogical. So, you know, you reach this point when you want to start screaming, what is wrong with everybody? Like you guys are nuts. This is crazy. And as an intelligent, pragmatic human being, you just want to shake people. And, you know, you can't. That's, I think, in some ways, part of the, you know, the, the most difficult part of the trip is there's no discourse. There's no dialogue. You're not having a normal conversation at all. You know, it's like being with zealots that have no idea what they're even talking about. So, um, yeah, you want to pull your hair out half the time. And I think, you know, that's kind of the struggle because you also understand that the people with whom you're so frustrated are victims of their own circumstances. Going back to my very first question, which is the why you wanted to go. Mm -hmm. I feel like I need a better answer for that one, Wendy. <laughs> a little bit. It's like, I get that you're curious. I get that like you want to appreciate the world and see what like, but there has to be a certain person at the end of the day, a certain psycholo psychology that goes on in your brain. That's like, I, I really want to go. I mean, we talked earlier off the, off the podcast about how you like to be afraid. Like that's actually something that you, um, you crave sometimes. Can you explore that with me a little bit for listeners? I think, I think we deserve a little bit more of a background on who Wendy is, you know, kind of the emotional fabric of Wendy and why someone like you would be attracted to such a dangerous and scary. I mean, I'll say it. I've never been there, but it seems like a pretty scary place. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 84 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website with hundreds of designer-made, customizable templates to choose from. The drag-and-drop editor. There's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. Too busy worrying about your budget. Too busy scheduling appointments. Too busy busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your website today. The result is stunning. You know, let me lay down on the couch first. Don't yeah. <laughs> Um, I have to honestly that those are definitely aspects of my personality, but I have honestly, it didn't apply in this case. I didn't go to North Korea expecting to be afraid. I really didn't. I think I felt like it was an innocuous buffoon more than I thought it was a dangerous villain. I just, I, I don't think I, you know, I didn't, I hadn't done any research. I never do any research on anywhere before I go. Um, and I didn't know that much about it. I really thought it would be funnier. 
than bad, I, which sounds so hopelessly naive of me. Um, but I, I, my expectations were not in line with what it actually turned out to be. And, and frankly, you know, it wasn't terribly scary being there. It was more annoying. And, um, you know, I get, I don't know. I, I've joked about this. I've written about this that I think I have a fear chip missing because what I don't find scary, other people do. So I'm not necessarily the best judge of it. But, you know, yeah, I, I do like to be um, challenged mentally and physically. I like the thrill of adventure and, and challenging myself to step up. I'm being afraid feels good. You know, it feels yeah. fun to me. I, I like that. Um, knowing that I can do more than I think I can. Well, it's probably good that you went into North Korea with this idea that I'm going to be laughing my way through this country because if you don't laugh, you'll cry. Yeah, I did that too. (laughs) (laughs) It's really the first trip I cried on. And, but, you know, and I've been on much more challenging trips physically and trips I think were far more like, you know, truly dangerous. But what uh, brought you to tears? What what of the many things that you experienced actually brought you to tears? Yeah, just a culmination of absolute frustration and exhaustion. It's it's very difficult to explain unless someone has been you know a victim of a cult what it feels like to have people talk at you fifteen straight hours a day um, in you know in nonsense, just lying to you nonstop. And it's not just two people; it's it's a country. You know, you unwittingly step inside some kind of immersive play where everyone is involved and no one is telling the truth. And it's just such a bizarre experience. And, you know, it's lonely there. It's depressing. Um, You know, the people you feel so sad for the people, Um, you know, there's just no hope. It's so hopeless. No one has free will. You're never going to see anyone again. You know when you leave that their lives stay the same. Uh, you can't really understand how much anyone knows. It, you, you know, I just felt terrible. I felt terrible and tired, and um, it wore it wore me down. But you live to tell the story, and the book again is called "My Holiday in North Korea: The Funniest Worst Place on Earth." You know, I have to ask you some money questions just because it is so money. But (laughs) maybe first we should understand more of like who you are professionally, because this is the first time you've written. You're not an author full time, although hopefully you'll be writing much, much more in your near future. And you've started businesses. You've been very entrepreneurial in your career. Tell us a little bit about the direction that your career has taken you and, um, and what you're doing now on top of writing. So now, as you said, I am writing. I'm writing a weekly column at the HuffPo, and uh, I'm starting to write for other outlets. Um, in my day job, I'm in, I've been working in marketing and branding and public relations primarily for about the last, gosh, a very long time, more than 20 years, which is really scary. And, um, you know, over the course of my career, I've started a couple of different PR, marketing, management consulting agencies. I um, created a bar in downtown Manhattan. I've uh, taught school. I've dabbled in all kinds of things. So, um, you know, I love starting businesses and being part of creative entrepreneurial type of projects. And, um, so right now I'm continuing to work in marketing and, uh, and then writing on the side. And as you said, hopefully we'll continue doing more and more writing. Yes. And you own a home in Brooklyn. You're our neighbor here in Brooklyn. Yeah. It's down the street. 
And uh, you said to me something interesting over lunch the other day, which was that <clears throat> you like to spend as quick as you make money. Like you don't really feel this need to save, save, save and hoard, hoard, hoard. Um, so maybe if you had to characterize your financial philosophy or your money mantra or kind of like your overarching theory on money and how it applies in your life, what would it be? You know, I'm a huge believer. And again, I'm probably going to sound a little, um, trippy, but I, you know, I, I do, I spend it as I make it. I believe that you put it in the universe and it comes back and the people who, you know, are greedy and scared to spend and scared to give, you know, it shows they're constantly battling to make money and, and hold on to their money. And I'm, I've just always operated under the, um, antithetical philosophy. You know, I give away freely. I spend freely. I don't worry about money and I've never had to. I, you know, I don't know if it's a, quid pro quo result, but, um, you know, I just, I don't think that's why I'm on earth. I'll leave earth one day and I won't need the money. And, and, um, you know, I've just always tried to put money in its place among, you know, all the other joys of being here. I grew up in, you know, a, in Bethesda, I've been surrounded, not my family personally, but around other people for whom money was really important. I've seen what it does. I just, I didn't think it should be the most important thing in life. And so I've always just treated it as something that exists that's nice to have. And I spend it now um, because, I, you know, I don't believe in waiting till I'm older or old or sick when I can enjoy it now while I can. And that's basically how I live. And that helps that you like to work, though. I mean, a lot of us who do save for retirement, it's because we don't want to be working as hard or as much or in the same capacity when we're, you know, in that chapter of our life. So do you ever think about the future and how much money that will require for you to, I mean, you, you're like, I could just live with a pair of flip flops and a backpack in, in the jungle. I guess that's kind of how we're different because I like things. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, I mean, I does, does part of you ever like really plan or think ahead in, in, in terms of financially being prepared? No, it's not terrible. Not really. I mean, when I do, it makes me a little worried. So I try not to think that far ahead. You know, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or in, when we hang up in an hour. You can't plan for the future. It's the greatest myth perpetuated in the history of the world. So, um, you know, I it's not like if I don't have you know, any money, I have a tiny, tiny, tiny amount, you know, enough for another couple of months, but no, I don't worry. I know I can take care of myself. If I can't, I'll figure it out when that happens, but I know how to make money. I'm not scared to work at Starbucks if I have to, you know, I will do anything I have to, to make money. And, and, you know, I like stuff. I live in a nice home. I'm, I'm privileged compared to 99% of the world. Um, and, but I'm not, you know, I don't need any of it. You're right. I can go live anywhere. I can move any place. I'm not tied to this. So, um, I just, you know, I want to help people and I like to give and I like to enjoy. And I think that's the point of being here. So have you ever been in debt? Um, when I was in college, like any good college student, I racked up some credit card debt, but I paid, I mean, not significant, but I paid it off, um, right after college. And I've never, you know, I don't have any debt except for my, obviously my mortgage, but I pay, you know, in cash, um, or I pay off, you know, credit cards every month. I don't, that's it. You know, I just don't want it to be a concern. Mm -hmm. Well, I have to say that's a brave way to take on your finances because <laughs> I guess I'm just an over planner. I know you can't plan for the future, but you can also, 
you, I mean, God forbid you, you know, you break your wrist or you can't write anymore for a while. Like I would hope that you'd have a little bit more than a few months to cover you, but maybe you could find a way to make money even with a broken wrist or, you know, being homebound. So, you know, I always, I do have my prop, the property that I own. And so, you know, you, you figure That's right. it out. Yeah. Right. yeah. My, my plan B is always like, well, I'll just sell the house and go live in yeah. a that's my much, much you know, you know <laughs> more affordable part of the country. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, we do live in the most expensive. So you grew up in Bethesda. I know Bethesda well. We have some family friends who live out there. It's a very nice, wealthy part of the north. I guess not the northeast, but I guess the the mid the mid east. Um, <laughs> what what was that? We say a, a very significant money memory of. of as growing up as a kid there, uh, was there any like kind of hard lesson or good lesson that you learned as a kid or just something really uh, visually that just stayed, has stuck in your head? Yeah. You know, I grew up in a really, um, you know, a, a fairly wealthy area and we were really normal, my family. And um, my parents divorced when I was very young and um, my, my biological dad left and it was just my mom, my sister and I, and we didn't have a lot of money. And, um, you know, we were, so we were kind of, we were like different than everyone else for a little while. And uh, my mom really wanted us to understand the value of money. And, you know, I, we weren't the kids that got to have the, I'm dating myself, like the Jordache jeans and the Calvin Klein jeans. If we wanted that stuff, we had to work for it. And so from a very young age, uh, you know, my mom instilled this sense of the value of a dollar. You know, I had a job since 11 and she would make us get there on our own and, and, you know, you'd get your paycheck and you were so excited. I've just always understood that you have to work to earn money if you want things. And that was not that common where I grew up. And, um, I think it stuck with me. Jordache jeans, man. I remember those. I think my mom had a pair and I, I, I think I wanted them so badly. They were so expensive. Do they still make them? I don't think so. I just I googled know. it. Yes, they do. Jordash.com. <laughs> they, yes, and they still have the, the horse logo. Oh my gosh, going back in time. Well, now they're in like that. That kind of like mom jean look is kind of back in style. Like with when oh, it, it comes up to your like navel. Um, good times. Good times. All right. So, what would you say, Wendy, was your so money moment? Like a time, I know you don't really think about money or really try to obsess about it, but there must have been a milestone, a financial milestone that you, uh, that you reached or a, a success. Maybe it was the first time you opened a business or when you bought that Brooklyn home that's now probably appreciated. What would you say was your greatest money memory, money moment? I was pretty proud buying this this house here in Brooklyn. I, I had purchased a home before a, a condo um, in D.C., but I'd had help from my family with the down payment at the time. I was a lot younger in my 20s. Um, this felt, you know, like a significant accomplishment. I did this on my own. And, um, I, you know, I guess each each time I've done anything, if I've opened a business by myself, it feels good. You know, you work and you save and then you um, and then you do the thing that you save for. And each one of those times, it feels like an accomplishment. So it's I don't think it's particularly a moment. I mean, I remember opening my first savings account with my mom at the drive through when I was 11. And that probably was the biggest moment. Of my I remember those drive throughs. I don't think banks have <laughs> banks have drive throughs anymore. Maybe not. Not so much. Yeah. You know, you had the little passbook and you used to write in there every time you made a deposit. And like, that was, those were huge moments for me. You know, so, 
but it's just, it's again, I am being repetitive, but she just instilled in me this sense of pride when you accomplish something you put, you know, you put a goal to earning for and then you got it. And so each time I put my mind to saving for something and I save for it and then I get it, it feels good. So did you ever fail at something financially? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I invested in the stock market like most people in the late '90s. That was a disaster. I have not done that again. And you know, I think the biggest lesson, though, I loaned I've loaned somebody uh, quite a bit of money in the past, and um, and never got it back. And that was a hard lesson to learn. Um, you know, that you have to be careful how and who you loan money to. And I think um, what I took away from that is when you give money to others, um, that you have to look at it as a gift and not necessarily a loan, even if it is, because the chances of it coming back to you are not a hundred percent. And you have to be okay when you give that money away, knowing that it might not ever come back. I've, I've totally given up on this concept of being able to beat the stock market. And I think anybody who th- still thinks they can for the average person. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> I don't want to be in that conversation. Yeah. Okay, Wendy, a habit. Maybe your habit is that you don't even look at your money. (laughs) Do you do anything with your money? Like, do you check a bank balance every so often? Do you meet with an advisor? Do you, I don't know, what's your money habit? Uh, I, I practice generosity. I really do. I, I, you know, anybody who has, um, running for, you know, running for this charity or, sponsoring that charity. Um, I think it's really important to give. I think the it's hard for people in the beginning. Everyone's scared they're going to run out of money. But the more you practice giving, uh, the easier it gets, the more I think you put in the universe, like I said at the beginning, the more that comes back to you. So that's, it, you know, it's you have to make the habit um, of giving. It, it is a habit you have to form. And so that's a habit that I've worked to form. Um, if any, I do check my balances. I balance my checkbook still every month. There you go. <laughs> yep. There it is. And there it is. <laughs> I just interviewed a, a young guy who's starting a mobile app or actually it's like it's a website and a mobile app called Bestow, B-S-T-O-W. And essentially what it will allow us to do, it's in beta form right now, is to take so it links to one of your bank accounts or a credit card account. And for every transaction, it rounds it up to the nearest dollar, takes the change. So if you spent $3.50 on a coffee, it takes it up to $4, takes that 50 cents and applies it to any charity that you've designated. So oh. you are donating literally after every, everything you spend, a portion goes to a charity. Of your choice. Isn't that brilliant? That's great. That's really great. And it's nominal enough every time that it isn't like you don't feel it, but over the course of a month or a year, you could be a really significant donor. Yeah, it's great. It's really great. All right, Wendy, let's do some so money fill in the blanks. And if you, if you, if you can make it all about North Korea during this, I, I challenge you. Um, if I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is. Go back to North Korea. No, just kidding. <laughs> if I won the million dollars tomorrow, I would uh, probably spend more time writing during the day. Yeah, right on. Yeah. When I splurge, like big money, what what's one thing that you just love to splurge on? Oh, art. I love buying art. Yeah? What What kind of art? Uh, I just bought two beautiful paintings, as a matter of fact, so... 
I'm just, I'm a sucker for art, music, books, and trips. Obviously, it goes without saying and travel. So, I'd love to see your art collection one day. Yeah, you will. (laughs) Okay. One thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is housekeeper. Yes. You're like the one millionth person who's told me that, but it's so true. <laughs> yeah. I, I had a housekeeper in college. That's how much having a housekeeper makes my life better. I feel like if anybody wants to be a housekeeper, now is the time. Yeah. <laughs> there's a job for you. Actually, my yeah. housekeeper, um, she is like overbooked. Like I have a hard time getting her to come if I have to reschedule. She's like, well, right. you know, <laughs> how's 2017 looking for you? I'm like, oh gosh, okay, just come. I can't. <laughs> when I, how about this one? When I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is. Mm. That it changes people for the worst. Hmm. <laughs> when I donate, you like this one. I like to give to blank because. I like to give to people who I meet personally because then I understand the difference that it's making in their lives. I, I think you're the, the person who wrote the blurb for you on the cover. James Altucher is a co- is also a friend. Yeah, and he I remember he said he wrote about this or we spoke about it. How he likes to also like kind of scan the local paper and find maybe a family or if he finds a story, uh, let's say like I- a family's house burned down. Right. I remember him telling me that. Yeah. yeah. He will somehow, and, and then he'll find out what hotel they're staying at or something, and then he'll cover the bill. Right. Right. And they won't even know who did it or what, but he likes to, that's how he calls himself like a Batman. Like, right. He, right. <laughs> the silent Batman. <laughs> it's excellent. It's an amazing thing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. All right. And last but not least, I'm Wendy Simmons. I'm so money because. Because I use money to enjoy life and to hopefully enrich other people's lives. Well, you certainly are. And you're taking, um, you, you, with much bravery, I must say, Wendy, uh, the book, everyone run to buy it. It's called My Holiday in North Korea, the funniest worst place on earth. And if you're in Brooklyn, uh, on May 3rd, Wendy and I will be at book court in Cobble Hill at I believe 7 p.m. Yep. 7 p.m. 7 p.m. So, make sure to come say hi because we'll be there and we'll be talking about the book and um, having a good time. So thank you so much, Wendy, and congratulations. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Wendy, the book again is called My Holiday in North Korea. Her website is wendysimmons.com and she's on Twitter at Wendy Simmons. All this and more back at somoneypodcast.com where of course you can click on Ask Farnoosh. Send me your question for the Friday episodes. Hope you're going to enjoy the three-day per week schedule. Hopefully that'll give us a little bit of a break, but hopefully also you'll be listening more to each and every episode. That's the hope, you know, that well, with fewer, we'll actually have a greater listenership for each episode. And thank you. Thank you for your loyalty. Thank you for sticking with me all of these many months going into almost two years of this podcast. It's been a joyous ride. And Wendy and I will be in Brooklyn tomorrow on Court Street in Cobble Hill at Book Court, 7 p.m., talking about my holiday in North Korea. We're expecting a pretty nice crowd. So if you happen to make it, please make sure to say hello and uh, looking forward to hopefully meeting some of you. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Hope your day is so money. Money.